0: Fixed income markets have shined thus far in 2023, with strong performances in investment-grade corporate credit, structured credit, and high-yield bonds and loans, to name a few. But with a potential recession on the horizon and concerns that credit spreads are trading toward the tighter end of historical averages, can this strength, particularly in the
1: high-yield markets, continue? So with yields in excess of 8.5% for bonds and 10% for loans, we still think it's a very attractive time to be allocating to high yield. History has actually shown that high yield tends to perform well at the end of rate cycles and even in modest recessionary periods. That was Scott Roth, co-head of Global High Yield at Bearings. And this is
0: Streaming Income, a podcast from Bearings. I'm your host, Greg Campion. Coming up on the show, assessing the opportunities and risks in today's high-yield markets. All right, Scott Roth, welcome back to Streaming Income. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah, excited to have you back. Uh, I was thinking back to when you were on the podcast last time, and it was almost exactly a year ago, September 22, and at that time, you know, it was a much different. Environment, we are looking at a, a much tougher year for high yield and risk assets more generally. Uh, this year, you know, no shortage of stuff to worry about, which I'm sure we'll get into. But all things considered, it's been, been a pretty good year for high yield uh, and floating rate loans, knock on wood. Now, uh, just curious, maybe to start there, what's kind of gone right for high yield so far this year?
1: Well, you're right. It's been a a good year for high yield for sure. Loans and bonds both on an absolute as well as a a relative basis compared to some of the other credit or fixed income asset classes. And look, I think there's been a number of factors that have contributed to this, this level of performance. We can start with the economy. We've had a super resilient consumer really benefiting from this robust job market. And importantly, employees who have um, seen real wage growth this year on the back of some of these receding inflationary pressures. I think we're all aware of the phenomenon around the excess savings and how that supported consumer spending. And I think there's been a level of stealth stimulus that's worked its way into the economy. And if you sort of roll that up and combine it with some of the disinflationary trends we've seen, I think the market has sort of come around and adopted this soft landing narrative as the most probable outcome for the economy going forward. So that's been a huge factor. I would say corporate earnings, I would put that in the positive category as well, despite the fact that earnings have been negative on a year over year basis for the last three quarters. However, starting in the fourth quarter, companies have been able to jump over that that lower hurdle that has been set. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you didn't go into this downward spiral. So three quarters down year over year, but better than expectations. And now we've reached a point in the back half of this year where earnings are expected to influx, so higher year over year. And I think what's really driving that has been corporate pricing power, and that has we, we know the strength that exists in the services side of the economy. The mm-hmm. demand is very high. Mm-hmm. Companies are able to push through price. That is really help support the, you know, the nominal revenue and, and also protect margins at the same time. And then maybe the last factor I'll just bring up is default expectations. We came into the year. There were a lot of just dour or aggressive mm-hmm. projections being put forward by some of the, the street strategists. And they made for really good headlines. They have not really materialized, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of these projections were uh, really driven by more of a macro model versus a bottoms up, which is how we tend to look at it. Look at it, mm-hmm. and so we've had we had difficulty reconciling that you know that disparity. Um, as it will turn out, we'll see in 2023, default rates are going to look very normal mm-hmm. on a historical basis. Mm-hmm. So that's allowed spreads to compress over the course of this year. Rates have risen against that, but compared to some of the other uh, fixed income alternatives that have lower coupon, higher duration, high yield has fared quite well.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the rates, so maybe let's get into that. So uh, obviously there's been a ton of talk lately about what the Fed's doing, where they go next for the rest of this year, for 2024, et cetera. There's been Uh, All kinds of opinions out there. It looks like the most recent commentary that we've gotten from the Fed kind of starts to put the higher for longer scenario, more cement that more into place. And it seems like maybe that's almost been a little bit non-consensus in that. Uh, I think the market had gotten a little bit comfortable anticipating that we're at peak rate or close to peak rate and the next move is lower. Um, So let me ask you that. What are the implications potentially for high yield if the Fed is not done hiking?
1: Right. So that would be a pretty unhelpful development. Now, that's not our our base case. Mm -hmm. I think we're still of the belief that the disinflationary trend will continue to see that over the medium term, um, acknowledging the fact that inflation tends to be wavy over time. And we're starting to see that a little bit right now. But we do think, as long as the Fed stays its course, that they'll ultimately be able to achieve at least a good portion of what they've articulated to the market. Now, to answer your question, are, are we talking about a single rate hike, I think the market would be fine being able to absorb that. Conversely, if we're talking about the Fed having to engage in a series of rate hikes, mm-hmm. that I think you're clearly looking at a resetting of, of risk in the market. And there's probably a, some level of distinction that needs to be made. Loans versus bonds. Loans are advantaged with the floating rate nature. And as rates go up, you see a corresponding increase in the coupon. So that would partially mitigate a, a negative outcome on that front. High yield bonds fully fixed in nature that's going to be, you know, a negative headwind for that. But I think the bigger picture on that front is you start to introduce a hard landing scenario mm-hmm. and ultimately resetting default expectations higher. Look, I think there's probably some nuance around the origin of the rate hikes, what is driving the reacceleration of inflation if you're talking about more of a stagflation type environment. I think that's different than a situation where the economy is actually re-accelerating, that no-landing scenario, if you will, where the neutral rate, we could argue, would be ultimately higher than most of us you know, believe it is today. So I think in those types of scenarios, there are different winners and losers. Mm. Um, However, I think that's sort of an interim play. Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, the Fed will have to sort of run down inflation with these rate hikes. Ultimately, that's going to have negative consequences for just risk assets in general. All right, so you mentioned that your base case is not necessarily, you know, that
0: the Fed keeps on hiking here. So let's assume the flip side of that coin. So let's assume that we're close to peak. Let's say we're either at peak rate here or maybe there's one more hike. And then the next move you know, whatever that pace looks like. So it seems like that the concept of of rate cuts in 24 has maybe gotten pushed out a little bit most recently, but let's say we're kind of there, rates don't go much higher, if higher at all from here, and they start to drift lower, let's say, over the next, call it one to two years. How does that scenario look to you from a high yield perspective?
1: Right. So that's would provide a a pretty favorable backdrop to, uh, to the market. Uh, history suggests high yield would do real well under that, that type of scenario. And we do have some history. Um, if you just think back over the past 30 years, there's been four rate cycles and 12 month forward returns following the last FOMC rate hike produces a return on average. That's low double digits. I think the numbers actually. 12%. 12%. So if we are indeed at the tail end of rate hikes here, we think that's a, a fairly good setup here for the asset class going forward.
0: So that stat that you mentioned there, I think would actually surprise some people. I think there's probably a perception out there that you know, high yield, since you're taking credit risk, when the economy starts to slow down, that would be a much tougher environment. So I think some might be surprised to hear that from peak rate uh, and starting to move lower, uh, returns have been quite healthy from there. So just tell me a little bit more about that and just how you think about high yield performance in more kind of recessionary periods.
1: Yeah. So I, I think the, the key for this particular period is if the Fed can actually preemptively cut rates before you begin to impact the the labor market and if the fed can effectively do that which the market is beginning to embrace here um we do think that's a really good setup for high yield because you have inflation coming down but the economy even in a low growth scenario you'd have spread compression at this point you'd have uh rates coming in and all that would be you know really constructive for the total return aspect of of high yield now there's another uh, angle to this, and that the Fed is not successful with a soft landing scenario, and so how would high yield play out in in that circumstance and we do think that's a there's a probability that that occurs ultimately, we think even if there's a mild recession, there are some defensive elements within the asset class right now that I think would be supportive. We always like to look at how an asset class will perform or what's the setup in a zero percent return or a break even. Mm-hmm. And given that high yields trading at a pretty significant discount to par right now, it's, it's in priced in the eighties, which is typically associated with recessionary levels. If you have a, a situation where spreads back up, the prices will go down. But given the fact that it's such a short duration asset class inside of four years, you're effectively spring loading this. And so we don't think there's any real excess imbalances that exist in the economy high yield has shown its ability to to perform pretty well in low growth no growth and even slightly negative growth we've seen a lot of that in europe over the past decade so we think the setup that that high yield can manage through a a slower economic environment and do quite well It seems like
0: we've seen almost like a regime change and that the term ZERP or uh, zero interest rates into perpetuity is is sort of becoming a a distant memory at this stage. And and we're all getting used to saying uh, things like higher for longer. Now, that that has material implications for asset allocation decisions that. Our clients need to be making in terms of how they're shaping their own portfolios. You know, one of those is looking at, uh, equities versus fixed income. And I'd say, you know, based on, uh, a number of the conversations that I know that our teammates at Bearings have had with uh, clients and consultants, it seems like more and more of these conversations are coming up around, you know, allocation shifts out of equities into high yield how are you thinking about that broad you know equity versus fixed income or maybe even more specific equity versus a high yield kind of trade at the moment
1: i think we're entering a pretty unique period here for fixed income high yield included and i mean that in a in a positive way we just went through this process of resetting rates over the past let's say 18 months and It's been a painful process anything if you're associated with fixed income in 2022 you were down double digits and if you look at high yield over the past let's say five years uh, in that low interest rate environment that you just highlighted returns have been low single digits so pretty paltry returns so i think you've gone through a bit of this you know just call it a, a giant reset if you will and i think what you're left with is a market that more closely resembles a traditional high-yield market with yields in that 8 to 10% context, Mm -hmm. which, again, if you think about forward-looking returns, when you're at those yield levels, they tend to be quite attractive. And high-yield has some unique characteristics right now, such as the discount to par, north of 10 points. You have duration, which is short, less than four years. Those are defensive elements in a more downside scenario. So you you compare that with equities and equities have had a, a very strong run, um, in the face of declining earnings. So everything's been, you know, multiple expansion. And on top of that, it's, it's taken place in a rising rate environment. So we're at a situation where multiples are valuations are very ambitious on, on the equity side right now. And I think, um, just stepping back, I think our clients are are looking at that those valuation metrics, and they have a, a menu of options over here now with this normalization of rates that we're going through in a variety of fixed income products, mm-hmm. and I think many of those have you know some level of durability in in more downside scenarios, and they're looking to reallocate, and so what we're seeing that. If you think about uh, pension funds, that's a big client base of ours, funding status on pension funds are at the highest level in many cases since 2007. Mm. So they're looking to t- potentially take some volatility out of, out of their book and move it over to areas in the fixed income landscape where we haven't seen yields at this level in some time.
0: Let's just dig into that a minute because you talked about potentially taking some volatility out of your portfolio by shifting, you know, out of equities into an asset class like high yield. Somebody may be listening to this saying, yeah, but this, you know, it's high yield, right? It's by its nature. It's a risky investment, uh, in terms of, you know, the credit risk that you're taking on. How are you thinking about that kind of quality of the market today or? general risk that folks are taking on by investing in high yield today.
1: Yeah, I I think one thing that investors really need to appreciate is that the quality of the high yield market today is the best it's been in the history of high yield. And I'm talking from a ratings composition basis, but also from the fact that most of these companies are larger and more diversified across the globe than they've ever been. And the majority of issuers today are double B rated and so that's that's a seismic shift from only a few years ago. Uh the lowest rated quality band is is triple C. That's nine percent of the market today. That was ten to fifteen years ago a hundred percent higher than it is today. So the the fundamental shift across high yield is, is very different. Um, you have very branded companies that you wouldn't even realize operate in the high yield space. So there's not this stigma that's associated with this market that there might have been 20 years ago. So we think the quality of the market has to be a consideration, and when you, especially when you're comparing high yield spreads in a historical context. So you have to make that adjustment. And so we think it's a market where double Bs that are yielding 7.5% with, in my opinion, almost a default risk that is nil. Um, it's a pretty compelling situation right now.
0: You know, high yield is a market where technicals can play a big role. Applied demand characteristics, and know certainly for the, uh, the loan market, uh, CLO demand, um, you know, plays a big role. Um, you've got inflows and outflows out of the asset class. If you were to kind of just, you know, broadly summarize what you're seeing from a market technical standpoint today? What would you say?
1: Technicals are quite robust right now. In 2022, rising stars, rising stars are are simply high yield rated companies that due to improving fundamentals, the rating agencies upgrade them to investment grade. Mm -hmm. That was a record year in 2022, followed by another very strong year in twenty twenty three. It might end up being the second highest on record. And as those companies migrate to investment grade, those dollars get recycled back into the high yield market. So you have a, a shrinking market where there's more dollars chasing it. So you have this supply demand imbalance. You could argue the, the market is is actually been undersupplied this year. Because if you look at the primary market, it's been very muted. And all the issuance, or the majority of the issuance, you know, roughly 75% across loans and bonds, has been used for refinancing activities. The M&A market is down roughly 40% year over year after arguably a very lackluster 2022, so it had very easy comps. So, there's really no new net supply that's finding its way into the market. And that's created a very strong technical across high yield bonds and loans. And even as we look forward, um, the pipeline is, is pretty shallow here. So we think this technical is going to be with us for some time and until actually the M&A market begins to rebound. And look, the maturity wall continues to get worked down with, with these levels of, of refinancings and really what's left here over the next 18, 24 months, primarily double B credits. And these are, are companies that have access to the capital markets. Um, the CFOs of these companies like their low coupons a lot. So they're loath to pull those things out prematurely and, and place higher coupon debt in their place. So uh, we don't see a, a real surge of issuance in the near term.
0: Another trend that we're seeing, and this, this one's more, I would say, a uh... A structural trend is the growth of the private credit market so it's hard to sort of ignore what's happening there obviously our colleagues uh here at bearings are a big part of that you know i'm curious you know we've seen headlines of you know private credits encroaching on you know this part of the broadly syndicated market or taking down this uh big deal that would have in the past been a, a syndicated deal is that in your mind you know managing high-yield bond, loan portfolios on a day-to-day basis. Is that noise, or is that a factor that's actually impacting your investment universe and you need to think about day-to-day?
1: Yeah, look, this has garnered a lot of headlines, and I think we're all aware of the capital that's been committed to private credit. I think private credit has been hampered a bit in their ability to put those dollars to work in their traditional market. And so they've they've looked to deploy these dollars in alternative channels or adjacent markets, you know, namely the broadly syndicated loan market. And so we've seen some level of encroachment on the edges, really, with some existing structures that have needed to be refinanced. And the most notable one uh, recently has been a company called Finastra. Finestra is a very large software company. It's also highly levered. And in the public market, it had a very standard first lien, second lien structure. Um, The problem was, given its leverage profile, the ability to extend maturities or refinance in a regular way. Mm -hmm. And that was compounded by the fact that the investor base here is... Majority of, of the investors here are, are CLOs, and each CLO is at a different stage in its life cycle. So their ability to extend at some level could be challenged. And so the structure had some overall challenges and private credit shows up at the door with five to $6 billion of an all first lien structure to, to refinance that and the equity sponsor elected to go in that direction. Now clearly lines are being blurred here. I think this, you know, can be and probably will be a a prevailing theme here over the near term as as we continue to sort of work on this maturity wall. I'd say in the interim period right now, this is a, a positive technical for the loan market, the public loan market. Um, just as I highlighted with the high yield market and rising stars, you have dollars coming out. Those dollars are getting recycled back in mm-hmm. to a smaller marketplace. Um, you know, creating a level of excess demand. And so on the issue of disintermediation, um, we've seen that before across asset classes and there's ebbs and flows over time. Um, mm-hmm. as happened to the broadly syndicated market before, uh, global financial crisis 2009, the loan market was effectively closed, so sponsors, uh, companies access the high yield bond market, specifically the senior secured bond market, to garner capital, um, refinance their capital structures, etc. Um, they had to pay up; they had to pay a price to access that capital. But that that happened, and the markets continued to coexist and. The outlook is really, really favorable for the broadly syndicated market, as it is for private credit. Uh, Sponsors continue to view the broadly syndicated market as an attractive area to finance, and that will continue to be the case going forward.
0: Yeah, I think that's the parallel that you draw with developments in the broadly syndicated uh, loan market back in the financial crisis. Really interesting, kind of a reminder that these things do tend to ebb and flow. I mean, obviously, we're going through this what could be called a private credit craze right now. I think, you know, funny enough, my next guest on this podcast is uh, Ian Fowler. So we'll be diving into some of the nuances there. But I think it's a a very interesting dynamic. I mean, it's interesting to hear that maybe there's even a a bit of a short-term tailwind for the broadly syndicated market. But it'll be a trend that we'll have to continue to watch kind of in the years to come. We've talked a little bit about some of the dynamics impacting high yield markets today. It's clear to me that there's a lot of attractions to this market today. I think the 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 points you make around credit quality and how that's changed over time are really strong. And obviously there's no arguing with, you know, where yields are currently. So there, there's a lot of attractions there, but certainly there's risks. Um, as well. So, if you were to kind of summarize, you know, what are the things uh, to use a cliche that keep you up at night? You know, what would those be?
1: Well, we, we've mentioned one of them. I think that's at the forefront right now of the high yield market, and that's this idea of inflation reaccelerating from here. Um, as we, as I said, it's it's not our, our base case. We don't expect that to happen. Um, But to the extent that you see that evolve in a in a in in materialize in a in a bigger way, you know, introducing the idea of stagflation. I I talked about how the companies have been able to you know exhibit this level of pricing power in today's market, and if you have growth that becomes more subdued, that could be real you know, problematic on the margin side, and you could see that ultimately hit corporate profits. As it stands right now, that's that's not what we see playing out, but that could be more of an issue for, for 2024 for the markets. I think anytime you're in the midst of a rate cycle, you have to be cognizant of a policy error. And I think the market's given, you know, the Fed a, a lot of credit, you know, thus far, but nailing that soft landing, can be pretty tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you have inflation that is exhibiting this wavy behavior and to be able to do that without impacting the labor market is something that can be tenuous. And so I think that's something that's, that's on the table as well. There's always, you know, geopolitical issues that are lurking around the corner that can surprise you.
0: Yeah, uh, trying to orchestrate a soft landing is no easy task. It's basically only been done once uh, in the post-World War II era, which would be in the mid-90s when it was uh, orchestrated well. But when it was orchestrated, it led to perhaps one of the best periods of economic growth that this country's ever seen in the kind of mid to late 90s. So when it's done well, it it, it can work, but it's a tricky path.
1: Well, look, it's it would be unique in the sense that we would effectively be starting or renewing a cycle with employment, almost considered full employment. Mm-hmm. And that would be something that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. So um, in some facets, we would be covering out new territory with this. Mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned geopolitical risks. We haven't talked about a whole lot uh, outside the US necessarily in this conversation, but We might be remiss not to mention that there's a lot of concern around china at the moment is that economy slowing down a lot of uh, focus on the real estate sector there anything you want to mention as it relates to your day-to-day management of these portfolios
1: look i think the risks around china at this point are well known Mm -hmm. um the piecemeal stimulus that's come out of the government has disappointed The market is disappointed investors. The economy continues to just be so sluggish. I think the, this, there is possibly a silver lining associated with China in the sense that had they introduced a more bazooka style stimulus that the market was quite frankly hoping for, that could have really led to this exporting of of inflation across the globe think of energy prices where they're at today if we think of really robust demand coming out of china we could be looking at you know base metals prices energy prices a lot higher and so i think while it's been a difficult you know situation over there with that economy we might be gaining a benefit off of this as well all right, Scott,
0: I think you've managed to give us a very realistic and balanced view of what's going on in high yield markets today, where some of the opportunities are, where some of the risks are. Uh, let me ask you to just finish it on an optimistic note, if uh, if I could convince you to do so, and uh, and give me your bull case for high yield, let's say, for the rest of this year and into 2024.
1: Well, let me give you a few thoughts on, on loans and bonds. I'll, I guess I'll start with bonds. I think what investors need to appreciate is that the quality in the market today is the best it's ever been in the history of high yield. And a lot of the sponsor activity, a lot of the LBO activity, has actually been financed away from high yield over the past several years. So, fundamental shift in high yield, and I think that just needs to be taken into consideration when you're looking at spreads, yields on a historical basis. And our approach to high yield has actually changed a little bit coming out of this zero interest rate policy, just low interest rate environment in general, where a few years ago, we were always trying to identify that discounted name that had some catalysts that would trade up. And so you try to, you know, generate a total return in the high single digits. Today, you don't have to go through all those, those hoops. You have a market that's, you can build a quality portfolio of double Bs, single B's with yields of eight and a half, nine percent. So you don't really have to stretch on on credit quality to get there. You have the double B rating category, which is nearly seven and a half percent yield. And I would argue the default rate there is de minimis. So those are sort of the the you know the backdrop for high yield and, and why it makes sense to be involved in this asset class. On the loan side, I would say that is one of the most underappreciated asset classes right now. We've seen an exodus out of that asset class in terms of outflows by its its investor base, both both retail and institutional. And that's actually just before the asset class realizing what it was built for, and that's the floating rate coupon. Mm. And I know why investors elected to to sell the asset class 2022 Leverage loans outperformed every other asset class by a mile. Mm. And if you were an investor, you needed liquidity, you sold your winners. Now, that ended up being premature. Um, today, we're sitting here, 10-plus percent yield in leverage loans. You run the coupons out to the end of the year, and you're talking about north of 12%. So, a lot of carry has been built up in this asset class. Other asset classes are going to have a hard time trying to outrun the carry mm. that exists in leverage loans. And on a risk adjusted basis, that is really attractive for an asset class that historically has exhibited low volatility. And, um, you're actually secured by the, the company's assets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we think the setup for, for loans is, is attractive. It's an asset class we've been overweight for the last two years. Um, it's been a bit of an out of consensus trade this year. But we continue to think that's attractive as we think about this higher for longer regime that we're in right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Comprehensive answer. I appreciate that. That's there, There's a lot of positive dynamics, I think, uh, that you've obviously just identified both on the bond side and on the loan side. So I think there's a lot to consider. But I think, as you've kind of rightly pointed out, you've got some pretty attractive yields as a starting point, and there's a lot to like here. So um, Scott, this has been an awesome overview of uh, what's going on in high yield markets. I uh, appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me, Greg. Thanks for listening to episode number one of season nine of streaming income. If you'd like to stay up to date on our latest thoughts on asset classes ranging from high yield and private credit to real estate and emerging markets, make sure to follow us and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're on Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and more. We publish a new episode every other week. And if you have specific feedback, you can email us at podcast at bearings.com. That's podcast at B-A-R-I-N-G-S dot com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.